When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Homeland's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Josh, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday, coming off a, a 4th of July weekend? Any fun plans on the, uh, the holiday weekend? Uh, nothing too exciting. You know, listening to neighbors shoot off fireworks at uh, midnight last night. I get up early, so that was not fun. Uh, but a good holiday, man. How about yourself? Yes, you you and all the dogs of the world are, are very upset about that <laughs> that last night. But nah, you know, I was you know doing the the usual Fourth of July stuff, chilling with the family, you know, hanging out by the pool, all that stuff. I luckily was happened to be off yesterday, which you know I wouldn't have minded working because it's you know time and a half, and we we take those. But uh, I, I was off yesterday, got a chance to spend some time with family, so that was good. Hopefully, everyone out there got to um, enjoy their Fourth of July, got some days For off, sure. got some time with family and stuff, barbecues and the like. But uh, while all that was happening, Josh, there was some big college football news happening this past week that you know nobody really saw coming, kind of blindsided the entire football world, and that, of course, is the, the joining of USC and UCLA of the Big Ten. They announced they'll be joining the conference in 2024. Just just massive college football news that dropped on us last week, and it's kind of funny that, you know, after you and I last week, we're, or a couple weeks ago maybe, we're talking about liking the regionality of the sport and how, you know, some of that is slowly er- eroding away. Now you have two West Coast teams joining the Big Ten and just completely getting rid of any allure regionality the sport had left, but... Clearly, this is something that was being worked on behind the scenes for a while. These things don't just sort of happen. You know, people made fun of the alliance, and rightfully so, but maybe this was the ultimate goal in the background, or at least among the bigger dogs in the Pac-12. But I think it's pretty impressive they are able to keep something this big under wraps for so long. But before we go deep into it, Josh, what were your kind of initial thoughts on this news when it first broke last week? I would say twofold, really. Um, From a business brand and power standpoint, this was a brilliant move for the Big Ten, right? Um, just the the West Coast fan base kind of bringing them into the fold, bringing in a conference like USC and to a certain extent UCLA. I mean, they haven't been as great lately, but they still have Chip Kelly out there as their coach. So um, to, to go out and, and bring those kind of power schools in and get a whole different fan base potentially interested in your conference – generate a bunch of revenue, all that good stuff. Great move. So I I definitely get it from that standpoint, but I keep going back to the regionality and just personally as a traditionalist, I hate it. I absolutely hate it because when I, if I thought about what teams or which teams I would want to bring into the big 10, you know, prior to this announcement, and we'll get to some of these. I, I would have thought something a little closer to the Midwest, um, got a little bit further west past like Iowa, things like that. Maybe Iowa State, maybe you go a little bit southeast. I, I had no idea. No, I don't think any of us did that this was in the works, but USC and UCLA would have been at the very bottom of my list to even think about. And so 
regionality is gone. Um, the Big Ten is no longer rooted in the Midwest or will not be rooted in the Midwest. Um, and and you, you've got this like bi-coastal sort of random conference made up. So it's very twofold for me. I, I get it on one hand, but on the other hand, it's just it's not what college football was to me. I've got a lot of different thoughts to sort out. But Gene, what you know, what did you think of this? Yeah, I mean, the ultimate move for for all these types of things, as we know, is money. It all comes back to, you know, the Big Ten's TV contract and whatnot. And we're not going to go super deep into that because that's kind of boring. And you know, I think everyone kind of gets it at this point. It's been been covered pretty widely. But just, you know, on, on the surface, on just the, the actual on the field stuff that's going to come from this, I do think it's pretty, pretty fantastic. I think it's obviously the Big Ten's response to the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma. And, you know, maybe, you know, especially with UCLA coming in as well, not not quite at that level. But I think it is a, a valuable addition because, like you said, you're bringing in that West Coast market. You're bringing in two teams that, you know, not just in football, but also in basketball, which I think we'll talk about a little bit, you know, do bring some value to the conference. Um, I I think it brings the potential for more games to be played in the Rose Bowl, which is always fun. Uh, You know, potential Big Ten championship games there. They've also talked about, you know, the Rams stadium, which, you know, isn't as fun, but I I think the Rose Bowl will be a cool spot for some of those games. Um, But, you know, bad memories for a Bengals fan. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But, you know, as as we know. Uh, money isn't really real in college football. So, you know, a lot of people are talking about the, the travel and stuff and whatnot. And I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about travel costs and things of that nature. I'm sure they'll they'll have more than enough money to cover that kind of thing. Um, I am interested in how the travel will work for some of the, the non-revenue sports, but I think that's sort of a later problem at this point. Um, but I do think it, it will be funny for teams like UCLA and USC to have to travel cross-country to play like Rutgers and Maryland. Um, that's just, you know, that's just funny. I don't know why. It's just like, you know, they have to they have to cross literally the entire United States to play one of, you know, two, two quite not good football teams. But, you know, those were the two additions that the Big Ten made a few years ago, and people kind of scratched their heads and saying, you know, oh, well, now they're they're going outside the Midwest. They're going over to the East Coast, grabbing these two teams that are much more in, you know, ACC territory than they are Big Ten. But, you know, at the end of the day, that wasn't too big. Uh, a move, you know, they're they're on the East Coast, but they're not super far outside of the Midwest footprint. But now, like you said, you're grabbing these two teams all the way on the West Coast, all the way across the country, as far as you could pretty much go in the United States, unless they wanted to add, you know, the Alaskan football team over here. But yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting move, and it's you know I, I think overall, while it kills any allure of college football regionality, I do think it's the right move. You do have to do kind of something to combat the SEC grabbing yeah. all of the best teams in the country. So I think it's it's a definitely the right move, and I think you know we've kind of touched on it before. I think it's another step towards the you know all of the top teams in college football breaking away from the Power Five to form super conferences. And while we're not quite there yet, it's it's currently now the SEC, the Big Ten, and then just everyone else lagging behind them. Yeah, the super conference thing is something that is very real and will become more prevalent, I believe. I think this is just the beginning of things where we'll probably talk about the Pac-12, Big 12 conversation that's going on. But you brought up a a couple of different things that I want to hit on. The TV markets, this is a boom, obviously. You've now got New York, for whatever that's worth, um, Chicago with Northwestern and, and, and that's a very transient city too. So they like, um, you know, your Notre Dame's, your Ohio States, things like that. And now you've got Los Angeles, LA out there. So TV wise, you're kind of putting a, a, a chokehold on things, which is good. And the other thing I want to hit on though, is the logistics of this literally and figuratively, you brought it up. I, I think the travel for football is one thing. I think that they, With one game per week, they can get sort of creative and kind of cater to the athletes and the programs and and build something that sort of works for them. I don't know if it's, 
you know, Ohio State stays on the West Coast for two weeks and plays these teams back to back. All of that has to be sorted out. But you brought up the non-revenue sports, and I think that that's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be very tricky and potentially very costly. I just I, I don't even want to throw a sport out there because I think that kind of belittles that sport or it's demeaning to them. But a lot of collegiate sports, they, they don't generate revenue or near the revenue of college football, college basketball, things like that. So I wonder what the investment is going to be in having these teams from the Big Ten go out west and vice versa to play each other in let's just say badminton. I don't know that's a sport. So I, I, I just want to throw a random kind of activity out there. But um, if it were, you know, that that's not a money making sport. So what's the investment in sending those kids out West to, you know, to play a game? I think that's going to be very interesting. And I think that's going to be probably the most difficult part of this is what do you do with everything else? This was made with college football and college basketball. This move was made with college football and college basketball in mind, I hope they didn't forget about the rest because I think that's where you're going to have to sort a lot of different things out. But um, yeah, you mentioned the games too. I I think it's going to be awkward, odd, uh, funny to see a UCLA or USC fly into, uh, you know, New Jersey and play Rutgers in December, something like that. And when I think about tradition and rivalries, that's another part of this where I'm just like, who is going to care about a UCLA Rutgers game, regular season game? Um, I, I don't see the allure of that. And you also mentioned the Rose Bowl. I think this could really hurt the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl traditionally is Pac-12, Big Ten winners, um, except for last year, obviously, with the, the BCS, the uh, college football playoff. I'm sorry. But this could be the end of the Rose Bowl as we know it. And I think that really sucks because it's not always a part of the CFP kind of picture, but it is a prestigious bowl game. And it is a game that I think Ohio State fans have held near and dear for a number of years. Michigan fans, USC fans, things like that. So just a lot of moving parts. And it's all so new that I don't think I've wrapped my head around it. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I didn't really think of that angle where it is, you know, there is the potential to take away some of the, you know, the allure of the Rose Bowl, I guess. But I think we're kind of seeing that really across the board with bowl games as we move into the college football playoff era, especially as we move towards an expanded college football playoff. I think a lot of the, you know, the non-playoff bowl games have lost a ton of their luster. They're not really, you know, nobody really cares about them as much as they did. You see all the, you know, the opt-outs for the draft and whatnot. And while the Rose Bowl is, you know, in rotation as one of the playoff games, when it's not like we saw last year, you know, it was, it was fun. It was a great game between Ohio State and Utah, but there really wasn't all that much on the line at the end of the day. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of people are kind of turned off by that and turned off by the, you know, I think the sheer number of bowls at this point and just, you know, the, you know, you got coaches getting, you know, the best part of some of these bowl games is coaches getting like French fries dumped on them, which, you know, is, is funny and cool, but not, <laughs> not as much around the sport as it, as it would be. But I do get your point about that. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting. You brought up kind of some of the the weather aspects. It's going to be interesting to see a team like a you know like a USC coming to play Ohio State in Columbus in the middle of November in the cold. But then vice versa, you now have the chance for Ohio State to go play some some warmer weather games in the in the co- the cold of the summer uh summer and you know in some cold of the winter in Columbus. So it works out both ways there. But I think it'll be interesting to see some of these these matchups in different places. At least you'll get to travel to some 
uh, you know, places you don't usually get to go. But I also think that this kind of opens the door for the Big Ten to get rid of its divisions. You know, we've seen a lot of other conferences yeah. start to move that way. And, you know, while they would obviously look to protect, you know, in some form of politics and they look to protect rivalries, obviously Ohio State and Michigan would still play every single year. But I think the addition of a team like USC especially would, you know, would prevent the divisionless Big Ten from always being an Ohio State-Michigan uh, rematch in the Big Ten title game. I think having, you know, at least one more really good team in there to throw into the mix to you know either put a wrench in things or to be one of those top teams themselves I think it makes a divisionless Big Ten much more appealing because now you don't always have, you know, a very clear top two teams in the division that you think will always wind up playing each other. You know, USC could could play for a Big Ten title. They could also, you know, beat some teams and change the standings a little bit. Maybe you have a Penn State in there. Maybe you have Wisconsin. And so... No, I think it makes a divisionless Big Ten much more interesting. It would get rid of the, you know, it would probably be, you know, the bottom of the standings would still probably be most of the Western teams, but it would get rid of at least, you know, the, the Big Ten West champion having no chance in the Big Ten title game because that rest, the whole division is, is not very good. What if of, they know, don't get years. rid of it, though? How funny would it be if UCLA and USC just joined the Big Ten West? I mean, because we've crapped on the Big Ten West for a number of years now because those teams just traditionally aren't nearly as competitive you have a wisconsin year once in a while um or or something like that but it wouldn't it be funny if usc just came in and they became the ohio state of the big 10 west yeah i mean it would certainly be interesting i think you'd just be you know you're the big 10 championship would turn into an ohio state usc battle every single year but i think it would certainly be interesting but i don't know you know depending on how if they were to form new divisions with these teams or what have you i think it would be you know kind of i think that would be even more repetitive than we would have seen if they had no divisions in the big 10 and ohio state and michigan would have been you know the top dogs more often than not i think there's almost be almost would be less parity with with divisions depending on how they they broke there but you know it's clear that um, the Big Ten isn't really quite done yet, so I'm interested to see what else happens. You know, you, you brought up a little bit about how you thought they'd add a team like Notre Dame. And, you know, right now the rumor is they're kind of just waiting to see what Notre Dame decides to do. It does seem like the the Fighting Irish would be a perfect fit in the Big Ten. It certainly makes more sense geographically than a USC and UCLA did. But, you know, at this point, all, all, point, all things point to this being, you know, unsustainable for Notre Dame to remain an independent in, in the world of college football playoff, in the world of all these TV deals based on, you know, conferences. I, I it doesn't seem like you know monetarily or on field like it would make be a decision a good decision for Notre Dame to remain independent and I they do have a contract with the ACC to play some games there but I think that you know that Big Ten money would more than allow for them to afford that buyout if the time did come um, and I, I would kind of be shocked at this point if we don't see Notre Dame join the Big Ten I don't know where you are on that Josh yeah let's get into that I was going to ask you about one other thing but we can save that do you think that Notre Dame is almost a must at this point, or do you think it would just be kind of another nice to have? Because the way I look at it, you've kind of thrown the regionality out of the window, out the window, and Notre Dame is still in that geographical footprint. So they were just a natural fit anyway. But the progression towards the super conferences, I'm with you. It's very real, and I think that. In one, two, five, ten years, whatever it is, we're going to be looking at three or four power conferences. There is no way that Notre Dame can remain independent. I just don't see that as being a possibility. And if you're kind of trying to choose between the two, the Big Ten is the way to go. I could see the ACC potentially even falling by the wayside and joining another power conference eventually. So, again, roundabout question. Do you think that Notre Dame is like targets 1A through 1Z right now for the Big Ten if they're to continue to add? 
Yeah, I think clearly, you know, the the Notre Dame is the number one option for the Big Ten right now. I think if it weren't for Notre Dame, Ohio, uh, the Big Ten would have likely already added Oregon and Washington as well from the Pac-12. And I think they're sort of just waiting to see what Notre Dame does before they move forward there. And we're going to talk about in a little bit how they might not, you know, they might be running out of time on that other front if Notre Dame doesn't make a decision soon. But um yeah, I mean, I, I think the I think Notre Dame needs a Big Ten more than the Big Ten needs Notre Dame. Uh, I, you know, the Big Ten the Big Ten's going to be just fine. They're going to have a, a crap ton of TV money coming in now, especially with the new additions of USC and UCLA. Um, so they're doing just fine. But you know, with with Notre Dame, it just seems odd at this point to not join a conference. We already saw one of the other big independents in BYU announce they're going to join the Big Twelve, and so. You know, it just seems like there's no really good reason at this point to be an independent. There's no there's no benefit in doing it. They they are losing out on a on a conference championship game as an extra, you know, bulletin on a on a playoff resume. They're missing out on a, a TV contract that's, you know, by a conference. And while they do have, you know, their own good TV TV stuff going on with NBC, um, you know, they're they're not quite getting the, the type of money that a Big Ten school would, especially, you know, but you know, you get the you know, Rutgers and, and Maryland and these lower tier Big Ten teams are making the same or, or close to the same as, you know, the upper tier teams in the Big Ten. So even if Notre Dame was to have some down years in the conference, they'd still be making the, you know, the same amount of money regardless. So I think that it makes a ton of sense for the Big Ten to add them. But, I, you know, I don't really see why Notre Dame wouldn't make that choice. And when it comes to, you know, the well, ACC. Well, Notre Dame, yeah. Gene, Notre Dame plays USC all the time anyway. So you think about some of their inherent rivalries. Um, they have not played big Ohio State as often, but they have the big game this year. Obviously, there's a natural rivalry there. There's a rivalry with Michigan. There's a rivalry with um, USC. Like, it almost makes too much sense for Notre Dame to go ahead and pull the trigger on this. Yeah, all all of their biggest rivals are pretty much in the Big Ten at this point. I'm sure if you know if they join the conference, Ohio State and Notre Dame would very quickly become its own rivalry. Um, and you look you look at the ACC. I know you brought up you know the chance of that kind of falling apart. The only really reason that it hasn't is because a lot of the ACC teams have really really high buyouts with the conference. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure you know the ACC already would have fallen the way of the Pac-12 and, and started looking elsewhere because that is just you know we we we've talked about that conference for years now, pretty much since the start of the college football playoff. It's really just been Clemson and then everybody else but you know even now you know some teams have, have gotten a little bit better you know you look at a UNC and a Wake Forest and some of these teams that are, are on the come up a pit but you know it's just I, I think a lot of those teams would do better in in you know another conference you know Pitt was, was a school that would do well in the Big Ten it makes sense in their yeah. you know their geographic area other schools like that in, in the northern half of the ACC so yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but it does look like the you know the Pac-12 is destined to be you know almost completely torn apart at this point. I don't really know what they're going to do. They're going to have probably look the way of the you know of the Big 12 and kind of what they did to replace their teams and look at some of the better group of five teams that are out there and bring them in. But yeah, it's not looking good uh, for the Pac-12. We get into that in a little bit, but yeah, that, those are kind of my my last my my closing thoughts ish on on a Notre Dame edition. I do think I I would be surprised at this point if it doesn't happen. And I think it would be interesting if they do go ahead and bring Notre Dame into the Big Ten because that would put them at 17 teams. And, you know, I don't know all the semantics of it, but I would think you need an even number of teams just to make schedules work out in the best way possible. So I think you have to get to 18 or 20 if you increase over that that 16 number. So then if you bring in Notre Dame it really becomes this game of like cherry picking because UCLA and UC USC, they were a package deal, right? You went out and you got two of these California teams. If you go and pick off Notre Dame, 
what other school is sort of ripe for the picking from that region? I can't think of one, whereas say they went to the ACC or some schools in the ACC and they started to engage in some conversation. Maybe they would look at North Carolina and North Carolina State as a package deal, bring in two schools from the state, same state, the way they did with these California schools. I don't know how that would work with Notre Dame. So that's where I think it would get very interesting in supplementing the conference with these teams outside of going again, completely off the radar and, and getting a Nevada, you know, or, or something like that. I don't know how that would work. Yeah, it's definitely a good point. You definitely would want to have an even number of teams, if nothing else, just for scheduling. I'm just looking at the current, you know, the current formations of all the, the Power Five conferences, and you know, before the, these, a lot of these new realignment teams have been added, and they all are, you know, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, and the SEC. All before these moves had 14 teams. Uh, the Pac-12 had 10, or the Pac-12 had 12. And, and But the ACC is interesting because it does have 14, but Notre Dame kind of makes it a 15th. So it, it is kind of an odd number, although, you know, Notre Dame doesn't play a full ACC schedule, so it makes it a little bit easier, and you don't have to worry about really them playing everyone in the conference as often. But it would be interesting to see how they would even those numbers out. You know, you would probably—I I think it would probably come down to another Pac-12 school just because of how the way things are, are currently breaking. Maybe you'd look at someone like a Stanford uh, t- to bring into the conference. I think they would they would make a lot of sense because, you know, they, they you know, the Big Ten likes its AAU members for all that research money and things of whatnot. So Stanford would make a lot of sense there as an academic yeah. thing. I don't know about their, you know, style of play and whatnot, but I think they'd make a lot of sense academically and, and on that front. But— yeah, I think they would certainly look to add, uh, you know, at least one more team if Notre Dame were to join. I think that kind of brings us to, you know, kind of a little bit of our, our next part on this realignment stuff. And that's, you know, what happens to Oregon and Washington now? It does seem like they want into the Big Ten, but they're stuck waiting in line behind Notre Dame. And if they can't get into the Big Ten, the next logical step would be joining the Big 12. And there's been some reports today and some rumors that, you know, the Big 12 is looking to add a lot of these kind of the rest of the Pac-12, or at least a lot of the rest of the better teams in the Big 12. And you start to look around at what the the Big 12 could kind of do with it, with its new look after its last round of realignment and now with this new one. And they could kind of put together a pretty fun conference. And it wouldn't quite be at the level of the SEC and the Big 10, but you look now, you know, they obviously already have Baylor, Iowa State, Texas Tech, and TCU as kind of their, you know, their top incumbents. They've already added Cincinnati, UCF, and BYU uh, to replace OU in Texas. And now they have the potential of adding teams like Oregon, Washington, Arizona State, Arizona. So, not quite at the top two level, but they could put together a really fun competitive conference in both football and basketball with some of the, you know, the rejects from around the rest of the country, as well as the top group of five teams. So I think the big 12 is, is heading in a good direction. And I think if it doesn't work out for Oregon and Washington or either of those teams joining the big 10, then I think the big 12 is putting itself together a nice little conference. I agree. And you probably wouldn't have thought that based on, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, well, based on, I'm sorry, a couple of moments ago, really, when it, it kind of was found out that they were going to lose the, the, California, the two California schools. I'm with you. I think that could be a very interesting conference, the Big 12, Pac-12 kind of merging, and maybe they take the entire Pac-12. I don't know if there's been any conversation about that. Maybe it is a complete and total merger to where it's, gosh, I don't know, 20, 22 teams at this point. Um yeah, I, I think that that would be a very reputable conference. I think that there would be a lot of good teams. I think that it wouldn't be as top-heavy as maybe the Big Ten or the SEC is going to be in these coming years. So, yeah, that's a very interesting point, and I think that's probably what we're going to see, even if they don't get 
an Oregon and a Utah or an Oregon and a Washington, it, it kind of seems like there's a lot of smoke to that fire too of those two conferences sort of figuring something out. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I'm I'm just looking around, reading some stuff here on Twitter, and you know, it, it seems like uh, you know Oregon and, and and Phil Knight would prefer to be in in the Big Ten over anyone else. So I think if you know, like you said, they're looking for one more team. If they you know if they do bring in Notre Dame, maybe they look to add Oregon as the one team, and they they leave out Washington. But nonetheless. A lot of interesting stuff going on in the world of college football. We talked about it. You know, the, the regionality of the sport is pretty much gone. You're going to be looking at here, no matter what happens here, I think you're going to be looking at kind of, you know, the Power Five reduced to a Power Three with the with the Big Ten, the SEC, and the Big 12. And then, you know, whatever, I don't know what's going to even be left of the Pac-12 at that point. And then the, the ACC, which has been, you know, a, a down conference for quite some time now. I, I think you're looking at, you know, those big three at the top and then everyone else. And like we talked about earlier, it all just seems to be moving to, you know, one big conference of, you know, the top 25 teams in college football as the talent gap between those teams and the teams below them keeps getting wider as the conferences keep getting, you know, bigger and bigger with more of those teams playing against each other more often. I think we are seemingly moving in that direction. At this point, I think this also opens the door for a lot of, you know, playoff expansion talks. I wouldn't be surprised if that's coming soon because, you know, especially now if you're going to, you know, it's trying to get one guy, one, one team out of each of the five power conferences. Now you have three conferences where all the good teams are already playing each other. It's going to be much tougher to get auto bids in a, in a four-team playoff system. So all of this, I think, is coming in the future. We're seeing a big shift in the world of college football, and there's a lot of Gene, big let me ask you coming. this. Yeah. At what point do we get rid of the damn names? You know, this is not actually... a Big Ten anymore. You know, the Big 12 is not the Big 12. The Pac-12 is not the Pac-12. Like, that's what I want to see happen next. Get rid of these names. That was actually really funny you brought that up. That was going to be my next question of you is, is the biggest question on everyone's mind is when do we change the numbers of, of the conferences now that they're not the right amount of numbers? I mean, the Big Ten hasn't been 10 teams forever now. Uh, you know, the, the Big 12 is clearly not going to be a 12 teams. Do we change the numbers? Does it become, you know, they're going to have to work out how the logo works because, you know, the B1G thing doesn't really work if it's not a 10. Um, so I, I don't know how they're going to make that that work out, but um, maybe they make it like a big 16 and they make the G look like a 6. I think that's an interesting concept. I didn't really do the math on how many teams they'd be at after all this is over, but um, I, I think if it comes out to a 16-team league, that could work. But yeah, I think that is an interesting question. You know, we saw you know the Pac-12 used to be the Pac-10. Uh, we, we've seen conferences have different numbers before, but yeah, I mean these aren't—they're not the Big Ten and the Big 12 anymore, or the Pac-12. They are different numbers, and it is interesting to think about the you know the changing of the actual names of these conferences, and, and you know moving forward, it changes a little bit of the the history of the sport. We're going to look back in the day and be like, oh man, remember when the Big Ten was the Big Ten and not the Big 28. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely interesting to look at. I think it's a good question. I think you've got maybe the Super 16. Uh, if I can ruminate a little bit more, the Elite 18 would be fun if they added a couple more. And then the Terrific 20. Uh, you know, I don't know. Just kind of grabbing things out of thin air. But they have to do away with these names. I mean, it's almost silly at this point. Um Really, the, the SEC still holds true, the Southeast Conference and the Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC, although they're adding teams from different ge geographical regions, there's not a number involved in that. So that is another thing that I'd like to see as a result of this. Let's get rid of the names and come up with something a lot better because I'm with you. I think that I think when all is said and done, I think you're going to end up with four or five of these conferences. And maybe they have upwards of 80 to 100 teams. I don't know. But it seems like the momentum is just, it's too far gone. It's rolling downhill too fast. I think that 
this is going to lead to a different college football sort of um, division almost to where it, it almost has to happen because your Mac schools and your things like that, they're just, it's going to be a completely different playing field, literally um, to where I think they have to do that. They have to break this off, make it division one, division two, something like that, because there are just so many moving parts. They've got to get this figured out and find some cohesion, I think too, to help them sort of sort out the pieces. Yeah. They, they almost need to create like a division zero to be ahead of division one where, you know, it's just, cause you're, you're looking at these teams. Now you brought up a school like the Mac, you know, now with all of the money that's going to be coming in for these big 10 schools and, you know, all the resources they're going to be able to have because of that money, those schools just get like a Mac school isn't going to, isn't going to be able to really compete with the, with the big 10 or at least the upper half of the big 10, you know, maybe they'll win a game here and there against the Rutgers or a Maryland or even a UCLA. But you know, the, 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 the Mac schools aren't going to beat an Ohio State or or a Michigan or a USC. Like it's just not going to happen. It, there's too much. There's too much of a difference in resources there. That you know, even going into just the recruiting at the very base of everything, all of these resources these teams are going to have to recruit, all the different facilities they're going to be able to have as a result of their money is going to be far and ahead away of those Mac schools. And so you know, you're going to bring bringing kids on visits, kind of comparing the two places, and it's I am going to be close. So I, I think you know, like you said, it is it's a necessary thing that has to happen. And while we maybe not like it, it takes away from a lot of the regionality of the sport and a lot of that other stuff and you know i'm sure the schools that aren't involved in this new upper tier of college football aren't going to like it very much but i think it's really the only way that these things are going to work and i I think it all it's a very hard logistical problem because a lot of the you know a lot of these teams play these bigger schools not expecting to win they're just playing it for the for the paycheck at the end of the day and that'll cut that kind of carries their athletic department so they're gonna have to figure out how the you know the money trickle down effect works to keep some of these smaller programs afloat but you know the problem that's another thing that um and, and sorry if I interrupted, but you brought it up, so I wanted it to be timely. The recruiting aspect, do you think that this will have an impact either way on recruiting? And I I think I know your answer when it comes to Ohio State and Michigan schools like that. They're, they're already national brands, but do you think that this helps a team like Iowa maybe get some exposure on the West Coast? Or even does it help UCLA pull some more kids out of the Midwest? Do you think that there's going to be an unintended or kind of unforeseen benefit to recruiting by doing this? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting concept. I haven't really thought about that too much. And, you know, like you said, you know, the, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the USC's, they're already doing fine for themselves on the recruiting trail. I doubt any of this will will factor into that too much. But, yeah, I, I think it is, you know, a potential for a team like a UCLA to maybe get some more exposure on in the Midwest. Maybe some of those kids that don't, you know, wind up at the Ohio States and Michigans wind up at UCLA. And, you know, even though they're not the maybe the upper end talents in the Midwest, they're still pretty darn good kids and, and kids that UCLA would love to have. So uh, I think it is interesting for a team like that. And then, like you said, you know, the, the lower end end of, of the Big Ten, maybe they get some more guys from the West Coast to come there, you know, with, with more exposure. But, you know, I, I think it's it's all definitely interesting. And, you know, this uh, time zones play a lot into that, too. You know, a lot of people don't get to watch USC and UCLA all that often because they play late at night. You know, you got the Pac-12 after dark. Now maybe we'll get some some Big Ten after dark occasionally with some of these later games on the West Coast as Big Ten teams travel out there. So I think, you know, it is it is going to open some people's eyes to some, some matchups and some teams they didn't get to see before. Um, I am hoping that, if nothing else, that the, you know, the USC-UCLA rivalry where they both wear their home jerseys, I'm hoping that the Big Ten catches on to that and lets Ohio State and Michigan wear both wear their their red and their blue versus each other when they play. That's that's my number one goal of this yeah. of this merger is to have those rivalry colors come over to the Ohio State Michigan game because I think that would look fantastic. That would be really cool. And you brought up it's funny Big Ten after dark. 
I'm already not looking forward to the basketball tips though, because I like I get up really early in the morning. So a 1030 basketball tip where the Ohio State uh, basketball Buckeyes have to go out to the West Coast. That's not going to be good for Josh. I can tell you that right now. No, for sure not. I'm glad you brought up basketball because I feel like not a lot of people are, are also talking about that. But, you know, bringing a team like UCLA into the Big Ten is really good for the basketball conference. We've seen how good UCLA has been over the last couple of years. They had that really good Final Four run. They've been a really solid team. And so bring another good – and USC, too, to their own credit, they produced some good NBA players the last couple of years. I think that they're, you know, they're a solid team coming out of the Pac-12. So adding two more really good teams to an already really good basketball conference, I think is going to be really good for Big Ten basketball as well. And like we talked about, you know, for recruiting and the exposure it could bring to the football field, I think, you know, having more exposure for those basketball teams as well is good for both those schools and it's good for everyone involved. That's a very good point. The Holt man can go out to California, recruit some uh, basketball players from the West Coast. It it all goes back to, for the conference, this is a a great development. It just, it still seems so awkward and foreign to us, but we're going to have to adapt as fans and people who, um, you know, talk about sports and do podcasts and things like that. It's, and and fortunately we've got a couple years to prep, but 2024, 2025, whenever it's going to be, it's going to sneak up on you really, really fast. And so while I'm, disappointed that the tradition is sort of flying out the window very quickly. I am also very excited about the future opportunities in all sports and just kind of the new exposure, the new matchup, things like that. It's all going to be a positive, I think, moving forward uh, whenever we do get there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you think about Ohio State specifically looking forward into the future. Adding USC to their schedule on a re- on a regular basis is going to be interesting because we have, you know, we know some of these bigger matchups Ohio State is slated to have in the future. You know, they have home and homes with Alabama and Texas. And so, you know, those are later, later on when USC will be in the Big Ten. So now you're going to have an Ohio State schedule, which has an Alabama or a Texan, and then also USC as an in-conference opponent, as well as the usual, you know, the Penn States, the Michigans, and all those teams. So Ohio State's schedule is going to be getting a lot harder here. And, I, you know, while I think that is, you know, it's good from a comp- competition standpoint, and it's good for, you know, you know, it, the Ohio State sometimes kind of gets the breezes through the regular season, and then they run into a, a really tough team in the playoffs, and it's a lot harder for them than it should be. But I think now that they're, they're going to be really tested in the regular season more often than not with USC coming in on top of all of their really good non-conference opponents they have scheduled coming up in these next few years. Well, that's why an expanded playoff is a must at, at this point, especially if there is additional realignment you can't keep the number at four because you know the top 20 teams top 30 teams whatever they're going to beat up on each other in these three or four conferences so uh, like if you're somebody who enjoys the Ohio State cakewalk air quotes to a Big Ten title game if the playoff doesn't expand you can forget the cakewalk because like I said there are are they going to play a Michigan, Michigan State, schools like that? Then they're going to play USC and a non-conference opponent. Like, As opposed to maybe two or three difficult games on the schedule or really difficult games on the schedule, you're going to be looking at five or six. And so, like I said, if you enjoy that Ohio State walk to the playoff, this is going to be a whole different sort of experience for you until if or when they drastically expand the playoff, in my opinion. I think this is heading towards 8 or 12 much sooner than anticipated now with this movement. 
Yeah, I think it almost has to. And like you said, you know, this is all, you know, we, we've talked about this for almost 40 minutes now, and this isn't even the last steps. You know, there's more dominoes to fall. We're just getting the news now of this happening this past week of, of you know, the plans to expand in 2024. We're still working on, you know, other teams potentially being added to conferences, other teams, you know, the Big 12 taking teams from the Pac-12 as well. There's all sorts of stuff to be going on on top of, you know, the, the pending college football playoff expansion. So, the casual landscape is still, you know, rapidly changing. These aren't even all the details yet, but it's just kind of a, you know, a quick glimpse into what the the world is going to look like moving forward. And so, you know, this season will still be, you know, more or less normal with how everything was the past couple of years, but there's a lot of a lot of changes to come. So I don't don't get used to how things go this year for sure. It's going to be the NFL on steroids. That's how I look at it as the end game. Because in the NFL right now, you've got what the eight conferences, right? And you've got a winner from each. Um, eight or six, gosh, I'm, I'm kind of losing my numbers here, but it's sort of like AFC, NFC. It's going to be like that in college football. You're going to have these divisions and look at the NFL, like four teams don't make the playoffs. It's 16 or, or whatever it is. Again, I'm kind of lost in the sauce here, but I think that is what college football is ultimately going to look like where it is this national sport, uh, you know, as it is today, but you'll have these different divisions. Each will get a winner. You'll get a wild card, things like that. That's where I see it being very similar to the NFL model. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we're moving you know, closer and closer to the, the college football world being right on par with the NFL schedule and, and things of that nature. And I don't know how, you know, I don't know if the length of the schedule will get any longer because, you know, they, at the end of the day, they are unpaid college athletes. So you don't want to have them playing a full, you know, 20 game NFL schedule with, with playoffs included. But I, I think it all is all very interesting and it's going to be wild to see how it continues to play out moving forward. terms of things going on currently um, for Ohio State in the college football world, things have been going pretty darn well for them on the recruiting trail. So, you know, we did just talk about how recruiting will be impacted based on these these new changes. I don't think Ohio State is, is super worried based on how their recruiting is going right now. Um, we've talked these last couple of weeks about all of the recruiting developments. Ohio State has had all of these latest commitments, and we have more for you this week as things continue to roll on for the Buckeyes this summer. Um, just this past week, Ohio State flipped Calvin Simpson Hunt from Texas Tech, a six-foot, 175-pound corner out of Texas. He had been committed to Texas Tech since November of 2021. He took an official visit to Ohio State on June 17th, and he must have really liked what he saw because he decommitted from Texas Tech on June 30th shortly thereafter and committed to the Buckeyes that same day. Funny enough, he made a an official visit back to Texas Tech on June 24th, a week after his Ohio State visit, but clearly they weren't able to sway him back. So you know, it was a breakup visit. Yeah, that's that's a tough scene for Texas Tech. He becomes, you know, uh, Calvin Simpson Hunt becomes a third corner in the class behind Dijon Johnson and Kane Lee, or at least he did at the time. Uh, he's the number twenty-two cornerback in the country, number thirty player out of Texas, and number one seventy-three overall. Good player. You know, I was not in on Simpson Hunt at all. Uh, I will admit that right now. But uh, you kind of look at this like a a bonus addition, not. Not because he was a throw-in, per se, but because of the flip. I don't know how on the radar this was. I think some people had sort of alluded to this, but I, I was not up on him personally. But, you know, good size. Tim Walton, Perry Aliano clearly identified this guy as a player they wanted to go out and, and maybe pick off from another school. A late, quote-unquote, riser. Um, the, the camp circuit has helped him quite a bit reach the status that he's at now 
I like that he's a track guy getting some additional speed in the secondary. And then today, kind of as we were talking about the pod, I was watching some of his film and I, I wasn't able to watch a ton. Obviously, I didn't study him throughout the year, but I liked the physicality I saw from him on tape. Um, not a huge guy, but I saw a couple plays like back to back to back on his highlight reel, fought through a double team block at the line to get like a tackle for loss or a tackle at the line of scrimmage um, laid a couple hits. He's willing to stick his nose in there. So I don't think you're getting just a speed guy with Calvin Simpson hunt. I think you're getting a well-rounded corner and a guy who's going to come in and just kind of add to the now embarrassment of riches that they're starting to build in the secondary with all the safety commitments and, and four future cornerbacks uh, potentially coming in, which I know we're going to get to. So unexpected ad but a nice ad i like what i saw from him and it, it kind of it keeps your presence sort of known and acknowledged in the state of texas i know this was a texas tech guy they didn't flip him from texas or anything like that but you know ohio state is a national brand a national recruiter and it's good to kind of keep your uh your pipeline going in as many places as you can so to go and get a guy from texas too is a good thing yeah, for sure. And, you know, his numbers don't exactly jump off the page, but he did have a, a breakout junior year. You know, it, it saw him earn offers from Alabama, LSU, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Texas, USC, all the big dogs. So, you know, clearly a lot, all the big schools were in on this kid. They liked what they saw from his, his junior year, and he's really started to rise up. You did bring up that he's a track athlete. He's run a 4.3840, so he's a pretty quick guy. Um, and he also brought up, you know, the Texas connection. Ohio State has done quite well for themselves recruiting the state of Texas. This is the first Texas player for Ohio State in this cycle. But, you know, you look at the last couple, they got Amari Abel and Caleb Burton in 2022, Quinn Ewers and Donovan Jackson in 21, uh, JSN and Ryan Watts in 2020, and then, of course, you know, Garrett Wilson before that. So been a pretty successful run for Ohio State in the state of Texas. Hopefully, you know, if, if Calvin Simpson Hunt can live up to some of the bigger names in that that uh, group as well, they, they'd certainly love that. But, yeah, you know, it's just another feather in the cap for these new coaches on the defensive side of the ball for Ohio State. And this is one, you know, this is really their first flip. This is their first guy that was committed elsewhere. They went in and said, you know, we want you. We want you to come play at Ohio State. And he must, they must have, you know, done a good job. He liked what he saw on, on his official, and they were able to take him away from an in-state school. So anytime you're able to do that, I think it's impressive. And like you said, while it's not the Longhorns you're taking away from, anytime you could grab a guy who's committed to an in-state school, and it's a guy that you really want, you go in and you convince him to flip. I think that's definitely an impressive feat, regardless of, you know, where the player's ranked. I think we brought it up before, too, on a previous pod. I know that personally I had my – I don't want to say doubts. I had questions about Tim Walton and or Perry Eliano's ability to recruit at an Ohio State level. Uh, we know that they can develop, and they have developed previously in their careers as coaches, but this sort of offseason has really – proven a lot to me, not that they needed to do that for me. You know, they, they work for Ryan Day and they work for Ohio State, but the way that they've been able to build up the secondary and get all of these players in, and Jim Knowles is a part of that too, because he wants to see a bunch of safeties out on the field. They're six or seven or, eight, or even eight deep right now in that secondary. And an, another thing that we've talked about is Ohio State's secondary they were not the best in America last year, right? They were not the BIA, but they have been in years past. And if you look at the makeup this year, a lot of guys 
are or could be leaving. So they need this new infusion of talent. They did really well with corners last year, but they've continued to add to it and then attack the safety position as well. So they're getting a lot of uh, a lot of guys in. There's going to be a lot of competition, but there's also going to be a lot of opportunity, which is a good thing for this Ohio State defense team, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and, and continuing that trend of adding guys to the secondary, Ohio State did it again this past Friday uh, when they earned a commitment from in-state cornerback Jermaine Matthews, listed as an identical six foot, one hundred seventy-five pounds to Simpson Hunt, but this time out of the Cincinnati area. And this was a recruitment that really, you know, took off rather quickly between the two parties. He was originally crystal ball to the Bearcats early on his recruitment, but he camped at Ohio State on June first. By all reports, he was one of the best players on the field during that camp. He, you know, he turned heads all over the field. He had other players and coaches rooting for him because of how good he was doing. So he, he earned an offer that day, and it seemed like he really, really did earn it. Um, and then he committed to the Buckeyes exactly a month player. as the guy listed as... Currently listed as an athlete, he's the number two athlete in the country, number eight player in Ohio, number 355 guy nationally, but he does project as a corner at the next level. I would expect those numbers to jump up drastically based on how he's performed in his camp circuit. But uh, Josh, what do you think of a guy like Jermaine Matthews? I, w- I was impressed watching stuff on his film and you know just hearing all of this stuff people had to say about his camp at Ohio State, especially with all the other big name players that were in, in Ohio for the- these past couple camps. To hear how much you know he really stood out among other guys is super impressive. I don't have a ton to add outside of what you've already hit on, uh, but I will just I'll continue to talk about his performance in these uh, these camps and along this camp circuit. That is something that speaks volume to these coaches because they get you know eyes on you one on one. They may not see everything on film from your high school tape, things like that. So they they clearly fell in love with this guy and recruited him really hard in a short period of time. And you know on, on top of that, he's a Winton Winton Woods player so from the Cincinnati area that entire area has really been fruitful for Ohio State so add another guy to that and I think the most impressive thing about him right now just as an athlete which is what he's pegged at but he'll be a corner is the speed he ran or he was you know he said he was clocked at a, a 4 3 5 40 during that camp so you know that is elite elite speed and playing in the Big Ten and then welcoming in USC, you know, sort of a callback there. You need speed on the outside. And I I think that's why he's a good get along with Calvin Simpson Hunt because they are some speed demons on the outside. And you want those, even if they're not the most physical guys in the world, that's where you work with technique. But you can't teach speed. You always hear that. And these two guys have it in spades. So especially with Matthews at a 4-3-5, I think that's a big get. And a lot of athleticism sort of being infused into this with the addition of the other cornerback. So yeah, I mean, I, I I just keep saying I've been really impressed by with by Tim Walton just kind of as a whole as he's coming in. He seems really engaged. He seems to enjoy recruiting. You see him on social media all the time now as part of these recruiting visits and, you know, in their Twitter posts and things like that. So I like what he's doing um, even more so with these two ads because he's giving himself options and opportunities like you you and I have talked about with the new defense they're going out and they're getting their guys they're not holdovers although we've got some good ones coming back 
these are the guys that they want and they've identified as new and future talent for Ohio State. So I think it's going to be a good thing all around. Yeah, I think Walton and Eliano have certainly done a very impressive job in their first offseason. You know, we talked about, you know, these corners, they've got four in the class now. They're likely done there. They've got the two safeties in Cedric Hawkins and uh, Malik Hartford, and they're still in on, you know, the number one safety in the country, Caleb Down. So if they're able to add him as well, it's already a very impressive haul, but to add him as well would be super duper impressive. These guys have done a really good job on that front. And I think overall, Ohio State's done a, a really good job of continuing to lock down the borders, as we've talked about, you know, it is an important thing for Ryan Day. It's been an important thing for Ohio State for quite some time now but you know with with Matthews's commitment it gives Ohio State five of the top eight players in Ohio um, the number two guy Brandon Vernon defensive lineman is going to Notre Dame and the number six uh, guy Nigel Glover is a linebacker going to Northwestern but uh, the number seven player Arvell Reese is a linebacker we've talked about he's undecided but crystal ball to Ohio State so that would be you know if he does wind up pulling the trigger and joining Ohio State's class that's six of the top eight guys in the state for the Buckeyes so I think you know while Ohio's talent isn't quite maybe what it used to be I think it's still impressive to continue to lock down the borders especially with teams like you know Michigan and Notre Dame trying to pillage the area as well as a school you know a rising school like Cincinnati especially landing some of these guys out of the Cincinnati area I think it's a really good job of Ohio State to kind of lock down the borders and at least get some of the you know the top end talent that still remains in the state yeah they're getting the elite right you would probably be uh, I guess a little bit concerned if it seemed like they were settling and filling out their class later in the process with some of these Ohio kids. And it's like, hey, they've only got 15 in the class. And then next offseason, they suddenly add five to seven to eight more. They're going after these guys early and they're picking off the best of the best. So, yes, it's in-state recruiting and Ohio State or the state of Ohio might not be as fruitful as a Florida or a California or a Georgia or any number of states. But. They're keeping the best of the best in state and and also they're not allowing them to uh, kind of commit or flirt with Michigan, which has been a thing in the past, especially really in uh, like the Cleveland area, Toledo area, things like that. And, you know, Michigan's still going to be something to be reckoned with for a lot of these guys. But yeah, to land six out of the top eight and maybe be in on another guy as well is It's continuing to lock down the border, like you said, and Ohio State has a ton of talent in it. They're going in and getting the guys that they want. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, th- this week there's only the two commitments to talk about. So Ohio State's clearly losing a step now without, you know, it was three three every week. Now it's only two. So I think I think Ohio <laughs> State is now dead. But nonetheless, there is still other one other piece of recruiting news to talk about. Not a commitment, but a, certainly a development and a noteworthy one at that. Um, high four-star defensive lineman Jason Moore. Not a guy that we've really talked about a ton. He's the number defensive line number defensive lineman in the country, number five defensive lineman in the country, number 52 player overall, number one player out of Maryland. Uh, you know, it goes to DeMatha Catholic, which you may remember as the school that produced a certain Mr. Chase Young. Um, this guy, Jason Moore, previously crystal ball to Notre Dame. But just this morning, Notre Dame insider Tom Loy flipped his crystal ball from Notre Dame to Ohio State. And then Steve Wolfong and Bill Kerlick followed suit with their own crystal balls to Ohio State. So it seems like the Buckeyes are trending quite well for a, a very highly regarded player along the defensive line. He is coming off an official visit to Ohio State on June 24th. He has already made visits to Notre Dame, Penn State, and Michigan. So it is noteworthy that, you know, he's taken officials to all these schools and now he's starting to get these trends towards Ohio State. Um, he doesn't have any other 
official visits currently scheduled per 247 Sports doesn't mean he doesn't have any more coming up. But if he is done, it seems like Ohio State got his his final visit and they are now, you know, on in in the driver's seat for a guy like Jason Moore, who would be a huge addition for Larry Johnson in a in a lacking defensive line class currently. Larry Johnson coming through like I knew he would, but I, I think I talked about this on another pod that we did earlier too. I was at least mildly concerned at the lack of defensive line recruiting and talent that they had gotten as part of this 2023 class. I mean, they have Will Smith Jr., who's a legacy, but you know, beyond that, they're still in on Mateo. I, I think that's a bit of a pipe dream. And then a lot of defensive tackles. And uh, there was the Reed kid who Ohio State made, was like, you know, in his top two. He ended up committing to LSU. The thing that I like about Moore is he is a true pass rusher. And I, I didn't bring him up when we talked about some of those other defensive recruits because he was crystal ball to Notre Dame. But I did have an eye on him. 6'6", 255 pounds, long frame. He's an athlete, a heck of a basketball player from what I understand. So this is what I was looking for. And I hope that they're able to find another one or two pass rushers. I, you can never have too many of these guys. And so to get a, a true pass rusher in the class hopefully uh, I don't want to um, kind of put the cart before the horse here but if they're able to bring him in with Will Smith Jr. and now start to add to that group it is something that had sort of been missing or lagging behind that of definitely the offense and then the secondary on defense still some holes potentially at linebacker to fill but if they can bring in Jason Moore who has that pedigree who like you said, went to Chase Young's high school. You know, if he can be any sort of, you know, percentage or fraction of that, then um, all the better. But I like what I saw from him. And again, it goes back to his his ability as a rusher and that long frame, that quickness that he's got. I, I still want to see John Walker be a part of this class and maybe um, a couple more interior guys, but they needed to add up front. And this is hopefully a step in the right direction towards doing that. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we, we've talked a bunch about the secondary and how they're more or less done besides maybe one or two other really highly regarded targets out there. But yeah, I think the next central focus here is going to be this defensive line. They only have Will Smith currently committed. They're going to need more guys here soon. And, you know, they've had a couple back-to-back classes here where they brought in a bunch of good defensive line talent, but you always need to add a couple, yeah. at least three or four guys in each class at a position that, that rotates a ton. Um, and, you know, Jason Moore would certainly be a huge addition to this class. I can't get over the, you know, the six foot six defensive lineman out of DeMatha Catholic. I keep getting visions of Chase Young, and that's not fair at all to Jason Moore, and I'm not expecting him to be the next Chase Young, but I just think it's a funny comparison and a, and a school that Ohio State's had some success at previously. But yeah, this would be a huge get. You've talked about some other guys like John Walker. They did miss out on Darren Reed, who committed to LSU. But you know, Moore is a is a much higher regarded prospect. I'm not going to say he's better or anything, but you know, it's it's you know, it wouldn't be cer- certainly not a consolation prize by any means if they were to land Moore instead of Reed. And who knows? Maybe this is a development that led to to Reed committing to LSU. Maybe Ohio State started focusing more on a guy like Jason Moore, and and Reed felt that LSU wanted him more than and with Ohio State maybe pulling off a bit. So I don't I don't have any inside info. I'm just kind of throwing things out there, or anything, but. It does seem like Ohio State has really upped the ante for Jason Moore, and they are now, you know, at least at the very least, they are the betting favorite for Moore to to join their class at this point. Yeah, they did do well in the 2022 class, but I, like I said, I don't think you can have too many of these guys. You have to be able to get after the quarterback, rush the passer, and you know, even though quarterback play in the Big Ten is not 
what it was, what it has been. It's not, you know, elite outside of Ohio State, really. Um, it's a part of the game, right? Uh, this is not the Big Ten of decades ago where teams run the ball 40 times per game. And, you know, we've seen how, gosh, how important how uh, just how damn good the Bosa brothers were and Chase Young and, and guys like that. They can be the focal points of your defense at a, I guess, like a non-luxury position. I think some people view it that way. I do not. I think that pass rushers are, if not the most important kind of part of the defense, they're near the top. I think you need to be able to cover and get after the quarterback and you figure out everything in between. So you need those guys up front. And I think that if they're able to get him um, and maybe even potentially pair him with Mateo and the guys they got last year, hopefully it starts to improve that Ohio state pass rush. That was not great last year. Hasn't been great for a couple of seasons now outside of chase young I hope that they can get back to that, fill out some sort of Rushman package or some sort of similar alignment to where they're getting after the quarterback with three, four, five guys at any given time, as opposed to leaning on a Chase Young and everyone else or hoping for 10 sacks from Zach Harrison and then 10 from, you know, a combination of other guys the Ohio state has had not had an elite pass rusher since Chase Young, and they haven't had two good pass rushers at any given time since Chase Young. So I think that this would be a really important development. Yeah, we know what Ohio State's, you know, resume is with developing these big end, these the top end defensive linemen. We've seen the Chase Youngs and the Bosa come through here. But like you said, it's been a little bit now since they really had some standout guys that there. We're hoping that guys like JD Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer are those guys. Plus some of these guys they brought in in recent classes that will get to play in the future. But yeah, it's, it's always super important to bring on those defensive linemen. We've seen how much Ohio State's defense has struggled without a, a dominant pass rush. It certainly makes everyone else's job on the back end harder when the quarterback has more time to throw and so bringing in guys like more potentially Mateo Uyunglele would be a, a large step in continuing that that trend to bring in these good defensive linemen and getting back to a, a much better silver bullets defense that we were used to in the in the older days of, of Ohio State football not too long ago but nonetheless Josh I think that about wraps up for us I was I was super excited that we were about to end the podcast almost exactly at the, uh, the you know the start time for this Mets Reds game so I could watch my large adult son Max Scherzer return to the mound but <sighs> It does appear like we're starting in rain delay, and I'm going to blame your franchise for doing this on purpose and not allowing me to watch Scherzer play baseball. They are trying to duck and avoid every game they can. Um, For those who don't know, my Cincinnati Reds are on quite the slide. They are arguably the worst team in baseball with the worst amount of talent, collection of talent in the bigs. And Gene was talking about this before the podcast. He's excited for Max Scherzer to come back as a baseball fan. I am excited for Max Scherzer to come back as a Reds fan. You know what? If they delayed this and his turn got skipped in the rotation, I wouldn't be too upset. I I will be very upset. So I just want everyone to know that. And, you know, having listened to this, you'll know if the game was played or not. And you'll know if Max Scherzer pitched or not. So you'll know if my upsetness was warranted or not. But nonetheless, we'll... uh, Upsetness. That's a new one. Yeah. I'm I'm making up words on the spot. This is what happens when Max Scherzer doesn't get to pitch. My mind just just fries. So that's where I've been the last month. You know, just a month and a half of no Max Scherzer. I'm just... I'm losing my mind out here. But nonetheless, he should be back eventually. And we will also be back eventually, probably next week, if if all goes well and, and, you know, nothing crazy happens. But... Nonetheless, 
that'll be it for us today. Uh, be sure to, uh, you know, check out all of our written content over at Land Grant Holy Land. We'll have a ton more coming in terms of, you know, recruiting, conference realignment, all this fun stuff going on, as well as our different theme weeks we have going on during the off season. Um, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff everyone asks you to do with the podcast. And for Josh, Julie, I am Gene Ross, and as always, go Bucks.